0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I invite you to take your Bibles, open it up to Romans chapter three. Romans three. As you uh, find your place, we're going to be at verses nineteen and twenty today. A uh, big shift in Romans is is coming, and uh, this is the end of this section. I know it's not the end of the chapter, but it's the end of this section, and he's fixing the change. Uh, I had the privilege of uh, of leading Bible study at the in Cleveland County Rescue Mission last week a couple times, and uh, we were talking about wisdom, looking at Proverbs, and uh, one of the things that we noticed when we looked at Proverbs chapter 1 and Proverbs chapter 2 was that The opposite of wisdom is folly, foolishness. And that just like wisdom has a name, foolishness has a name too. Jesus is wisdom. And when we seek wisdom, we seek him. And to the degree that we seek him is how we find him, is how we not only find him, but how as we become more aware of our sin and his glory But to the degree we don't seek him, we find ourselves being pawns in the devil's hands. And he will leverage our weaknesses and our blind spots for his own glory and for our utter demise. And I say that for a reason this morning. Because we're about to talk about sin again. And we've closed this section out. This is a summary. So we're going to review somewhat of everything that we've went through. But I want you to know today that behind what we are struggling with and what behind what other people are struggling with, there is an enemy that especially at the high points of our lives, and listen, we're at a high point of our church life, you better keep your armor on because he will kick your feet out from under you and you won't even see it coming. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we come to Romans 3, verses 19 and 20, and we confess to you that we have learned, I pray, that we are weak and needy, and that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that you came and sent your Son to give us what we desperately need, a remedy for our sin-sick soul. And so, Lord, today, write us, please. Orient us. Even though the week that we've had has maybe been busy or hard or maybe super relaxing, Lord, stir our affections for you and your Son. Through the power of the Holy Spirit today, in Jesus' name. Amen. So stand with me. Let in honor of God's word. We're Closing out this section, Paul is sort of summarizing sort of the the so what, if you will, of, of Romans 1 to Romans 3. And so we read in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you again because we can't pray too much. Loving your word, longing to know his truth. And so, Lord, give us the wisdom that we need today to take not only the gospel into ourselves as a light and as a comfort, but then to take it to a dark world. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let's, let's do a little bit of review as we as we walk through this first section of the message. Uh, Paul's got a personal conviction uh, that he's not going to weigh Rome. And he desires that for the church in Rome. And we see that, this central verse for this whole letter in Romans 1:16 to 17. When it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, and what is it? The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. Verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then, what he ascends into It's the gospel. Slowly, deeply, heavy (laughs) gospel. And what he does is he helps us understand that when we present the gospel, there is no good news without the bad news. And so what he descends into to start with is the bad news. And that's why we entitled this whole section, Gospel Need. To reveal to all people the Jews first and also the Greek. that's why he, he focuses the way he focuses, the rest of the next three chapters, that we have a great need. Paul has created a courtroom scene to make the point of man's need. You saw that right before Christmas. I'm not going to get you to hold up your hands, and maybe there's nobody in here that's ever been arrested, but I know you've seen it on TV. Right? Watch cops or something, you know? And they read them the Miranda rights. You remember? You have the right to remain silent. I can almost have that memorized. Anything you can say will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney if one can't, you can't afford one. One will be provided to you. Do you understand these rights? Do you still wish to talk to me? Because if you do, I'm going to hold all of it against you. You see... The misconception of Judgment Day is it's going to be like an American-style courtroom where there's a judge up in, in a robe and there's two lawyers and each one's trying to e- either present his case to the, for the state for conviction, for a guilty verdict, and there's a defense attorney who is trying anything he can. Loopholes, technicalities clerical errors, whatever he can to get his client off is what he's trying to do. And we tend to think one day and dare we think that one day we will be on judgment day and it's going to look like that. Listen today if you don't get anything else judgment day is when we step into the king's courtroom it's his courtroom and you ain't allowed to say anything Unless he lets you say it. And so, it's just a reminder before we try to get this picture in our head. Unless we get the wrong picture and hang a scripture on a bad framework. That Jesus is risen. So he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God has given, the Father has given the judgment to the Son. And he will do it. So the final judgment will revere, reveal, I should probably have put at least, two clear indictments, but only two possible verdicts. So I want you to see indictment one. God, the fact that God has been rejected through our rebellion. We saw that through Romans 1 and 2. I, I like what R.C. Sproul said. He called it cosmic treason. So that's real simple in our minds to remember that the first indictment Is not simply sin. It is cosmic treason against the king. Remember, flip back in your Bibles, you can see at verse 18, all people have, have creation to declare the glory of God and the reality of God and the power of God. But what does man do according to verse 18? He suppresses the truth. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed against heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So he's proven this understanding that this is our Father's world, and yet he revealed his glory and honor, and instead of worshiping him, we suppress that, and then we worshiped other things. So we breathe his air. We, 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 we rest in the kingdom benefit of living in our Father's world, and we give glory and honor to lesser things. He's not done, though. If you remember, you flip over now in your Bibles to chapter 2 and verse 14, he said all people have not only sinned because God has revealed himself in creation, he's also revealed himself in the conscience of men. Verse 14, and when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, listen to what it's saying, they are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, verse 15, they show, listen, this is critical to understanding verses 19 and 20 when he summarizes it. He says, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Where their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse them or excuse them, on that day, when according to my gospel, God's judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. And you, say, oh. so we, say, well, hold on. What about the good things people do? I mean, man, I do some good things. You know, these people you're saying they're lost. The, don't they do good things? I got to use this illustration. I thought it was helpful. I don't know why I, why I like watching these things. It's probably a blind spot in my life and, and could show some darkness. I don't know. I'm just being honest. But sometimes I like to watch the, that whole mafia thing, right? There's, there's movies galore about it. And he was talking about the, the book The Godfather, which they also made movies on. And what he was using it as an illustration to make his point. Good things. You're there going, by no means would you consider a mafia donna a good person. But hold on a second. Oh, yes. He's in control of what? Prostitution, uh, gambling, drug dealing, any criminal activity, anything that they can they can make a profit on. They They are... They are, they're doing it all, not only in America, but all over the world. And yet, and yet, you take this guy who probably got up in the morning, found out somebody wasn't doing what they're supposed to do, and all of a sudden that guy either disappears or they find him somewhere in a really bad, bad way to make an example. But on the way home, this same guy stops at the florist, and he buys his wife flowers. And then he goes home and he picks his family up, his family that he loves. And he takes them out to eat or he takes them to some kind of amusement park. He loves his family. He's good to his family. And if anybody dares come against anybody in his big family, they defend them to the death. And I ask you, is he a good man? He would say he is. But see, he is not the standard of good. What he has done and what people do is they do good things, but the only thing that that is doing is to serve and to be self serving to their own independence, to do their own thing and their own rebellion against the Lord of Lords and the Kingdom of Kings because he is good and he designs what's good, not, not us. We can't live in both worlds. What he, what he is is not good. He is guilty of cosmic treason just like the rest of us. But not, not only what else have we learned about this indictment? Well, looking back in chapter one again, we see that people are warned that judgment's coming. How are they warned? They are warned by temporal judgment. Temporal judgment is a warning. It is the yellow light flashing on your spiritual engine that says that something bigger is coming. Look at verse 26 of chapter 1. It says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up the natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. He's speaking of, of the sexual Deviancy that was just as much a part of their reality as it is ours. Matter of fact, they would not have dreamed of some of the stuff that now we see on TV every day. He's sitting there going, there's a consequence for that lifestyle. There is a sowing and reaping that's a part of sinning against the king of kings. And we see it in the consequences of our own lives, and we should not ignore it. But many of us do. So indictment one, our own lives testify against us on that day. Our own lives will. That we are rebels against the king of king, guilty of cosmic treason. And indictment two, then the law comes into effect. And what I'm going to do is use the law synonymously with God's word. And I'm, I'm telling you that what I believe about what the text is saying in 19 and 20, that we're not talking about just a small piece of Scripture, but the whole of Scripture seen as God's law in this, in this passage. But Romans 2 and 3, he's been making this point through the whole two chapters. What he's saying is that the people have, the Jews have God's word, they have God's law, but they failed to apply it in their lives. Look at chapter 2, verse 17. He said, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those that are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children in the law, embodied of knowledge and truth, you then teach others Do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? While you say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? While you hate idolatry, do you rob temples? Verse 23. You who boast in the law dishonor God. How? By breaking the law. Not by confessing the law. Not by memorizing the word of God, but by applying it first into your own life. I told you, I went to the rescue mission and had a Bible study. And when we talked about wisdom, we talked about two dangers of reading Proverbs. The two dangers is the same dangers that we've been talking about in Romans. The dangers of two extremes, moralism and legalism. Moralism and legalism. One of the most dangerous things in the church. One of the, one of the enemies that I said even against wisdom itself is to read the wisdom literature and, and read it with the framework of moralism. Well, I just read Proverbs so they can help me have a better life. Just give me three principles. Forgetting about that Jesus is wisdom. I'm supposed to seek Him. And then... Legalism. Legalism does what? I'm right. God is happy, more happy with me because I do these set of rules. And it's interesting. It seems to be that people who struggle with legalism know in their heart that they can't keep it. They can't keep the law. So what do they do? They reduce it. They reduce it to some set of pet laws that they not only try to themselves follow their own convictions with and try to do it legalistically, believe in their right, or that God is happier with them, they love to impose them on other people. So let me give you an example from the past. I'm not saying this was bad or good. That's a conversation for another day. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a contrast, so, so hang with me. There was a day when Sunday was so set apart that nothing happened. And if you got caught sneaking out somewhere, like going to the movies, you're in big trouble. But at the same time, those people who held Sunday as the Sabbath or as the Lord's Day professed segregation and thought it was acceptable they saw no problem with it. They kept separate water fountains and separate communities and separate buses where people rode on one side. And there was even towns and cities all over the south where people, black people couldn't even go into that city and get serviced. All the while the people who, who put their thumb on them and treated them with disdain and hated them in their hearts went to church on Sunday and say, say, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. One day, their Lord and their King was going to say, When you did it to them, you did it to me. Let us be weary before we throw rocks at the pagans, that we have shined the light first into our own soul. We have much to be careful of. We have much wisdom that we are in need of. And God's word shows us the condition of our own heart. You see, what's happened is what we also learned in chapter 2 and verse 24. That those who, who fall in off the ditches to one of these sides, either to moralism, what would Jesus do? Remember those bracelets? Let's just... Let's just, just tell me, Jesus just came to give me a good example to follow. To fall into that or to fall into, oh my goodness, what do I got to do? Did I not do this good enough today? That beyond robbing yourself of joy with that, you're ruining the witness of Jesus Christ with them. They must be repented of. And listen, Abandoned. Chapter 2, verse 24 says, The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So we can misuse God's word. But here's what chapter 3 gets into our business about. Now we're in chapter 3. At least we're in the right chapter now. Getting there. Promise. God's word proves no one can keep the law. Listen, what else? What, look at verses 9 to 18. You remember that. Everybody, we know these verses. Nobody even cares. You ever felt like that? You ever taught a lesson that nobody wanted to hear? Nobody, if you ever been a teacher. you I know you've been a parent. If you've been a parent, you ever talked about something? Nobody cares. You're sitting there going, nobody really wants, to, nobody, nobody really cares around here. Nobody cares about me. Nobody cares about it. This is what the Bible says. It's what scoops us all up. No one is righteous. No, no one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. God's Word reveals it. God's Word shines a light on the fact that many of us have an apathy problem. We have a spiritual laziness problem. We don't desire what we should desire. And those that are outside of Christ aren't seeking God. No matter what weak theology you may have embraced, the Bible says they are not seeking for God in their sin. They're seeking sin and they're loving every minute of it. God's word proves that. But what what we get to today, and what what his summary is, is that God's word proves that salvation is impossible by works, by doing something, by being moral or keeping rules. Verse nineteen. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are, notice this, under the law. Why? So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So he takes everything that we just talked about. He summarizes it in these two verses. Paul's point is to think about it. It's okay, you Gentiles. If the Jews had the privilege of being the elect of God, the called out people of God, if they had the law, if they had a circumcision, they had all of those things, and they couldn't keep the law, what chance do you have? There's a problem. That's what he's trying to get us to admit. There's a problem. You must receive what the king says about us. Without objection. Without excuses. Two indictments. Cosmic treason and lawbreakers. Verdict. The verdict on that day. Guilty. That's what he's saying. The verdict on that day. It's gonna be the what we say when we say guilty is this: we are unrighteous, and there will be no excuses. So listen now, let's go back down to verse 20 and then we'll jump back up to verse 19. The truth that is declared, for by the works of the law no human will be justified, declared right in God's sight. Since through the law come the knowledge of sin. Now in verse 19. I don't know what your translation is. If you're reading the ESV, it is now we know. That just means therefore in the Bible. Because of all of this, on account of all of that, this is true. I've I've given you this negative side of the gospel argument. Now I'm about to give you the positive side. But until he gets to positive, until we understand the truthfulness of this, that you can't do something and be declared right before God because of it. Because why? Because God who designed the law didn't design it to work that way. Just like we can go back to the sexuality issue that he's dealt with in chapter 1 and say God simply designs male and female to work a certain way. He designed the law to work a certain way. And so what the law was doing is not simply say, do this or do that. What the law was actually doing all through history was to say, you can't do it. See? (laughs) You can't do it. you got a problem. The law is meant to tell you of your unrighteousness. The gospel tells you of the righteousness of God. That's what we're heading towards. But you see the first part? The first part is chapter 1 to 3. The law tells you of your unrighteousness. The law in your conscience and the written word. So we've seen the verdict. Let's back up and understand it. You see this issue of the word, verse 19. The word brings condemnation. The Word of God brings condemnation. Look at verse 19. The three words that you need to focus on is under the law. That means that we are under under sin first, verse 9. You can go back and look at it. We are under sin. We're under its control. He's given us in chapter 1 and chapter 3 a list of vices. I I just love Genesis 6, 5. It says... The, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. I mean, you just can't get around that one. And because we are under sin, the law brings us under condemnation. It, this is a legal. What I want you to see today, if anything we could talk about, the law, like John the Baptist was a forerunner of Christ. The law was the forerunner of Christ. And its purpose was to bring all people to their awareness of guilt and prepare them for the coming of the only one who is righteous. And his name is Jesus. The law and the word of God will accomplish his purpose either in this life or the next. But God's Word's purpose was to reveal His unchanging standards. It is in a world where everything else in your life and every other person cannot fully be relied on. is that God's Word never changes. It's always the same and it's always here. Without this Word... It points all people to their need and then shows them God's remedy for that need. Without this word, people would consider themselves relatively good people, model citizens that, of course, God would let them into their heaven. And you notice everybody in this town says they're a Christian, but you ask them something out of this book and they do not know. Why? Because this book will shine a flashlight into your soul. It'll say you're living with someone just so you can get two checks, and the Bible calls it sin. But what you'll do is just keep the Bible closed because you don't want the scripture to shine a light into that area of your life. That's what it that's what's happening. That's the indictment. And you must see that before you can see the gospel. One commentary compared the law of God to a mirror. I think he got that from James. <laughs> but it was very helpful to understand the purpose of the law. He said, you, you go to a mirror and you look into it. And what might you see? You might see that your face is dirty. The answer is, what are we going to do? Well, the mirror shows you the face is dirty, but here's the question: Does the mirror clean your face? What's the purpose of the mirror? The purpose of the mirror was to reveal if you got dirt on your face, but you've got to know where to go find the soap and the water that will clean your face, because that wasn't the purpose. Of the law. And to brace legalism or to moralism is to pervert the Word of God to think it's supposed to do something that God didn't create it to do. The Word of God, listen, one day the Word will bring silence in heaven and on earth. Verse 19 every mouth will be silenced, believer and unbeliever, religious and irreligious. Why? Because the word of God that we've been talking about for 23 weeks now, I think somewhere along that we've been in Romans, has been clear. Listen to Galatians. We ourselves are Jews by birth, Galatians two fifteen to 16. says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because that the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, let me ask you something. Is that clear? That's clear. How much more clear will it be when we stand on the day before the King of Kings? So we go back to that Miranda issue. You have the right to remain silent. No. It's not going to be how it's going to be on that day. He's going to say, No, you be silent. Psalms 46, 8 to 11 says this Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on earth, how he makes wars cease. To the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The indictments are read. In this courtroom... The judge says, How do you plead? And as you start to give your defense, he will cut you off in mid sentence and say, You may not speak because I am the Lord, the King of glory. I am the first. I am the one who came and provided salvation, and you rejected me. I am the one that gave you the word of God and you ignored it. I am the one who offered repentance and yet you refuse to repent. I am the one that forgave you but you will not forgive other people. Be quiet and know that I am God. Every mouth is going to be shut not simply the unbelievers. Look in your Bible and notice what believers do in the presence of God. There's just a couple remember poor old Job poor Job took a beating right and what did he do to deserve it not a thing got mad all his friends telling me he did something wrong (laughs) I didn't do nothing please if I did something wrong tell me all his friends saying just repent you did something wrong I didn't do anything so he goes to God I didn't do anything it ain't fair that all this is happening to me? You remember what God said? Job, where were you when I created the universe? Where were you when I created? Now, why don't you go out there? You tell me how many cows there are in the world. Big boy, tell me all of these microscopic molecules that no one has ever seen. You tell me their function, big man. At the end of this conversation, Job 40, verse 4, Job said, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Even John, you remember John? When he saw the very presence of God in Romans 1, 17, when I saw him, I fell at at his feet as a dead man. In Revelation 8, 1, we see judgment brings this sobering silence. When the Lamb opened the seven seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stood before God and the seven trumpets who were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with golden inserts, in, with golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the inserts with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightnings and earthquakes. God will do what is right. And that brings even the believer to a sobering silence. God will condemn the word of the word of god will close people's mouths and the word of god will render us all accountable verse 19 one guy says it is the straight edge of the law that shows how crooked we are the the word i just challenge you sometimes just to look it up in your bible we don't have time to today the word render one day he will render us accountable for that which we do all people it's how we don't hold on to the things people do against us. Why? Because God's going to make it right. I don't have to carry it, I can't carry it. The devil's not going to rob my joy by me trying to keep account and trying to make it right. Here's the main question What will be your verdict one day? If you're not yet a believer in Christ, what, do you understand the truth that we've been talking about over these some 20 weeks? Oh, I know. <laughs> we have children and, and young people and we know it, adults and we're all from different generations. We all communicate differently with each other. And, 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 and man, sometimes it seems like people are thin-skinned. You get offended at every least little thing, but you know when you we've heard it said, and it's still a good illustration, if you have a tumor in your brain and the doctor go to the doctor and he tells you it's malignant, is that unloving or unrighteous or is he being offensive? I mean, should he just say, take three aspirin, and it's going to be okay. If you take a biopsy, been there, done that, and they come back, and it's malignant, and yet the doctor just doesn't want to hurt your tender, sensitive, thin-skinned feelings. And so he just says, look pretty good. Not as good as it could be, but you know, nobody's perfect. You're going to die. You see, no matter what you feel today about the messages that's been preached, or maybe even this one, the, the, the reality, the good news today is there is a remedy. Unlike if you have a, an inoperable cancer, To sin while the day is today, there is a remedy. There is always a cure. And Jesus Christ is that cure. So don't go another day without repenting and turning to Christ. He is the remedy. And He is the only one that can bring healing and reconciliation into your life. There is both pronouncement and provision. The pronouncement is that you are guilty. The provision is Jesus Christ came, died, and rose again so that he might not only declare you not guilty, but declare you righteous. It's good news. But how about if you're a believer? Keep coming back to this point. Because I want that you to ask a question when is the last time I was really awestruck by God? I had this quote, J.D. Greer. It's good, just listen. I added it last night, so it's not on the screen. Be glad to send it to you if you want it, just tell me. Quote Ceasing sin is the byproduct of seeing God. As we see the beauty of God and feel His weightiness in our hearts, our hearts begin to desire Him more than we desire sin. Before the Bible says, stop sinning, it says, behold your God. Think of it as a balloon. There are two ways to keep a balloon afloat. If you fill it with your own breath, then the only way to keep it up in the air is to continually smack it upwards. That's how religion keeps us motivated. It repeatedly hits you. Stop doing this. Get busy with that. This is what he says. He said, this is my life as a pastor. People come on Sundays so I can smack them about with something. Be more generous. And they go out and do that for a week. Go do missions so they sign up for a trip. Every week, I smack them about into spiritual orbit. No wonder people don't like being around. But there's another way to keep a balloon afloat. Fill it with helium, then it floats on its own. No smacking required. Seeing the size and beauty of God is like that helium that keeps us soaring spiritually. I hope you've seen it over. A few, how many how many years you've been here. I try not to smack you about. Why? Because what JD's saying here is true. When you delight in Christ, you don't have to be smacked about. But I want us to be ready today. It's quite a providential that on this probably the last time we're spending this space, Uh, we will be right here in verse 21 where Paul says, but our hope, our own little but God in Romans is coming next week in verse 21. But our hope is that we can have a righteousness from God. Listen Listen to what he says. The righteousness of God has been made known. It's subjective. We need only to turn and to put our faith in it. William, William Cooper, 18th century poet, puts it like this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see the fountain in his day. And there have I, as vile as he, washed all my sins away. This is the call from Romans 1 to 3. To turn to Christ and he will wash your sins away. Let's pray. Lord, what news that we have that we are a great sinner and that your son is a great savior. Our life exists not to glorify the enemy, your enemy, but to bring you glory. So, Lord, as I pray this morning, Lord, I can't see the blind spots on my own, but I desperately don't want to have them. I don't want to cause other people to stumble with them. And I don't want to dishonor you with them. And so, God, as a believer today, as we get ready to worship through our giving and through communion, Lord, we pray that you would reveal to us right now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, our blind spots, our sin. Allow us to agree with you that those things are wrong, they're sin. My sin is my sin. It's not other people's sins, mine. God help me to own that today. And then to cry out to a Savior who's mighty to save, he's mighty to forgive. Our Father who is in heaven. Lord, you we, we address our prayers to you through the, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that allows us to come to you and to ask you to say, God, forgive us now. For those ways we have dishonored you this week. Or maybe this was the first time we've ever asked him. Asked you to forgive us. Lord, thank you for the gospel that says that for those in Christ, Lord, we need only to come to you. And ask for forgiveness. And you forgive and reconcile and we can come back to the table. That picture of fellowship of intimacy, of relationship, of communion that we're about to do. We give you thanks because your son paid for that. Your son provided that for us. And so now let us be grateful people as we stand in worship. Forgive us where we need to be forgiven. Bring reconciliation when these reconciliation needs to be had. But let us right now, Lord, as your people, enjoy you. In Jesus' name, amen.